have a pretty firm belief that if you make over, you know, what, a, like $10 million in a year annually or something like that, uh, anything plus that, you are, it is hard to consider you like stupid, if that makes sense. Like anybody that makes that kind of amount of money has to be smart in some area. And I've been pretty firm on that. I, I don't think there's a lot of stupid people or anything like that consistently that could make that amount of money. But there is one person that is really, really testing that theory. And there's probably more that I don't know about off the top of my head, obviously. Uh, but in the public spotlight, there is one person that is really, really testing that theory, especially in the more recent, let's say, five to ten years. This person has been doing that. And that is that person is Dan Snyder. Uh, he this is just an intro. I don't want to talk too much about Daniel Snyder. First off, let me say this. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, mainly baseball today because spring training started. We kind of got a, an idea of what's going on in spring training and some of the rule changes. We'll break all that down and you know talk a little bit about that. And I'll give a quick, very quick preview of uh, the F1 season that starts uh, this upcoming weekend in Bahrain. So I'll talk about that a little bit later too. It'll be quick, but uh, mainly baseball focused this weekend, except, or I guess this week, this week's episode. Uh, but first, we want I want to just quickly touch on Daniel Snyder. Uh, I, I'm like I said, I don't believe a lot of people that make the amount of money that he does, the, the amount of money that is uh, that helps you uh, purchase a professional football team uh, can be stupid. I don't think a lot of people that 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 way, you know, with that amount of weight, uh, that, that amount of wealth can be stupid. Uh, but Daniel Snyder, man, he, he is he is kind of an idiot. He is really, really kind of an idiot. Um, he's had, if you haven't paid attention, this is a very rough outline. Uh, he's had plenty of, uh, of, of allegations ruled against him from, uh, former women that used to work in the, uh, in the organization of the Washington football team, uh, come out against him against, uh, against the organization. It was one of the worst experiences. A lot of these women have ever had working in any sort of organization. He runs a terrible, just top to bottom. He is the owner and the runner of a terrible terrible organization that or ever since he purchased that team, it has really, really gone downhill. He has not run that team. Well, it's going to make a ton of money. Not going to not, I'm not going to say because of him though, mainly because of just how the, uh, the game of football in the NFL has grown since they purchased him. It really has literally nothing to do with him. Uh, more people are kind of avoiding the purchase of the Washington football team because I guess the Washington commanders now, uh, because of Daniel Snyder, because he is such a, thorn on the side of the NFL and it would not be easy to purchase from him because he is just a huge pain. Um, he's going to be forced to get rid of the team. Uh, it just came out today that uh, he had a $55 million loan come out uh, that he was essentially using the team as a personal piggy bank. Uh, and the guy and everything just, you know, a, you know, most, uh, most people that are con men and, and, you know, kind of like Snyder, essentially, uh, they don't really tie everything back to themselves. You know, they're pretty good at putting, you know, uh, putting flyers in different areas that make it seem like all the evidence leads back to a different direction. But for Snyder, he's like, yeah, just paint it all around me. Like I, yes, of course I'm the person that did this. I'm not going to be smart at this at all. I'm going to make it look like, yeah, it was me. Of course it was me. Because that's Daniel Snyder. He's not the smartest guy in the, not the sharpest tool in the shed, if you will. He's not, he's not hammering the smartest nails. Okay. This guy is kind of an idiot. And ever since, uh, ever since he took over that franchise, it has gone completely downhill. It has been an unmitigated disaster. Nobody respects that franchise because of Daniel Snyder. At every turn, Daniel Snyder had the, the chance to improve 
the uh, the 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 likes of the fans or anything like that. The the outlook from his fans of his football team uh, to try to improve that relationship. He has pretty much completely destroyed the relationship. None of the fans of his football team want him to stay. The fans are basically begging him to get rid of the team because they have not had success under him. He is a he is a black eye on not just the team, but the league, a huge black eye, uh, basically a black eye you'd get from uh, somebody like stomping your head in on just your eye. I mean, he's 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 a terrible, terrible owner. And uh, in every situation where he could improve relationships with the fans or anything like that, at every turn, in his idiotic fashion, he has completely screwed it up. Uh, he didn't want to change the name, which looking back on it now, the, the original name of the team, which I won't say on the air, obviously, because looking back on it now, how the hell was that a team name in one of the most prominent sports leagues in the world? Uh, he well, he did not want to change the name as recently as when they changed it. He was super against it, which looking back on it, baffling, just completely completely baffling uh, every turn where he wanted to remember uh, or, or memorialize Sean Taylor. It was a joke of a memorialization uh, and it was just a, a terrible memorial. No matter what he was doing, uh, it was more the, the idea that he was trying to cover something else, some, some other stupid thing that he was doing that he messed up on. Uh, and he used Sean Taylor after he, you know, as he's passed away, he was using Sean Taylor's memorial essentially uh, to try to get the, uh, get the pub, the PR off of his back essentially. Uh, and that's just that that's the epitome of Daniel Snyder. I, I really, I don't know what he's done positively for that football team. They play in probably arguably the worst stadium in the NFL, just in terms of uh, one where it's at, completely out of the way of Washington. Uh, it is run down. It is a disgusting stadium. It is truly horrendous. Uh, one of the worst stadiums in the league by far. Uh, he never was able to, to fulfill a promise of trying to move the team to try to get a new stadium, anything like that. That never happened. Uh, and he's just from every turn, a complete disaster, a complete disaster of an owner. And every time I get to see him step in it a little bit more, which he did today, uh, I just, I, I loathe. I'm so happy because one, he does not deserve to be an owner. I cannot believe I'm looking at his net worth. Net worth $4.9 billion, according to Forbes. And if he has a net worth of $4.9 billion, ladies and gentlemen, that means if there's anything, if there's any silver lining to take out of Daniel Snyder being worth $4.9 billion US dollars, according to Forbes in 2023, that means you, me, your cousin, anybody can be worth $4.9 billion dollars. USD if they want to be if they truly want it if they work hard enough you can be worth that amount of money because if Daniel Snyder can do it with all the crap that he's part of with how bad he is at his job of being an owner of a football team then that means that you can do it too if you want to own the Washington football team if you want to own the Washington commanders as a football franchise uh, it'll take a little bit of time you're gonna have to get a good ownership group together but you can do it because Daniel Snyder did it, and you literally cannot do worse than him. He is leaving that franchise, uh, hopefully, uh, rather soon than later. Please, for the love of God, please, rather soon than later. It's just it's somebody that the team presidents, the other owners need to get together. They, they just need to get together like like Caesar and just get him out of there. You know what I mean? Just surround him like Caesar. I'm not saying you had to kill him. That, that's a little too far, obviously. But let's just get him out of there and never listen and never even have to hear from him again. He is the absolute worst, and he's truly, when I say this, I actually mean it, he's an idiot. He's a complete idiot, and uh, the, the sooner he gets out of the NFL, the better the NFL will be. The, the better that black eye will begin to heal, and the Washington commanders will begin to have a actually 
respected football franchise. I feel bad for a lot of the people that are fans of the Washington football team, the Washington commanders now, because you have to deal with a guy like that running your organization. There is no way you can look at him and be like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, he's our owner. I have to, I have to appreciate what he's done. Nope. You don't, I, he can't be that he's uh he's terrible at his job and has been since he bought the team in 1999. And uh, the, the, the commanders have, only been worse because of it, uh, because of the way he's run it, uh, and just in general because of the reason that 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 piece of garbage is there. So the sooner he's out, the better the NFL will be, and it cannot happen quickly. It cannot happen quickly enough. Please, please, please go away, Daniel Snyder. I'm begging you. I'm not even a Washington football team fan. I'm not a Washington Commanders fan. No, I've, I've never, but I know that they're a historic franchise in the NFL. They are very important, especially in the 70s and the 80s when they were winning championships. They were a very good team. They are a uh, a forefront for football in the NFL. Ever since he took over there, it has been a complete disaster. How not to run a franchise, and uh, he cannot leave soon enough. Really cannot leave soon enough. Woo! Okay, that's not even what we were going to talk about today. That was a nice little nine-minute rant just because I saw Daniel Snyder trending again and doing something stupid once again, and it all just leading right back to him. And I was like, yeah, I got, I have to talk about this, even though I don't want to talk about it. And, uh, here we are. I'm, I'm frustrated about him again. And, uh, the sooner he's gone, the better. And let's just put it that way. The sooner he's gone, the, uh, the, the better the world will be, uh, when Daniel Snyder is no longer in the spotlight by owning a, uh, a professional football team. So let's move on. What an intro that was. And that might be the most charged up I've ever been talking about anything on this program. I'm trying to think of anything else that really got me that angry. I think I've talked about the the commanders and the Washington football team under Daniel Snyder, maybe once or twice on this program uh, back when everything else was going on around him with the, the sexual assault situation in that organization, how poorly he treated women and that organization in general has treated women uh, since he's been running the team. Uh, I don't think I've ever been that. I think it all just kind of accumulated right then and there uh, to that intro. So whatever. Okay. We don't like Daniel Snyder. Nobody likes Daniel Snyder. Let's move on. MLB baseball, baseball's back. Spring training's around the corner. You know, I'm having that. I'm having that phase right now, especially during this past weekend when it really started. I I would throw on a couple of spring training games just to get me throughout the entire day. And I was watching games. There were people scoring I had never heard of in my entire life. And you know what? I loved it there for a few days. I'm probably, I don't know how much longer that uh, that honeymoon period will last for spring training. I saw that um, Ryan Fitz. I'm a Red Sox fan, obviously. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick scored a game. He hit a game-winning double to win the game for the Red Sox in the bottom of the ninth inning against the the Rays or somebody. I can't even remember to be off the top. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, I immediately thought to myself. What's uh what's the former former quarterback for basically every team in the NFL doing playing baseball? Obviously it wasn't him, but that's basically the that's that's the that's the the kind of the the experience of spring training. You're going to see guys that you'd never heard of, you didn't realize were people uh, until they swung the bat and they got you a double. You're like that guy, he's going to be good. That that's really the experience for spring training because you see a guy hit a game winning double. You see Ryan Fitzpatrick hit a game winning double in the bottom of the ninth against the Tampa Bay Rays in the third spring training game of the season. You're like that guy, he's coming up. He's going to be really good for us. He's the missing piece for us that we're going to win a championship with. It's the great honeymoon period of uh, of spring training. You see you see your team's record in spring training. You're like this is the year. 
we have an, a, a loaded team. We're jacked, even though it's, for the most part, pretty much nobody you've ever heard of playing in those games, and they probably aren't going to make it into the MLB most part, for the most part. And uh, and that's just how it goes. And it's awesome. It's awesome. The honeymoon period for spring training, the 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 weird, like you get the smell in the air of, you know, you can smell like the the seats and so, you know, the baseball stadium, even though you're sitting in your in your house, you feel like you can kind of get the environment of the baseball stadium back in your own home. And uh, it's it's an amazing feeling. And that's what I was getting this weekend. It was awesome. It was awesome. One of my favorite moments so far from spring training, and it's only been a weekend. One of my favorite moments I was watching. uh Dodgers versus Cubs, Dodgers versus D-backs. I honestly don't remember, uh, but it was Dodgers for sure. Uh, and the Dodgers had somebody on the mound. He had a crazy number like you don't normally see in baseball, like a 91 or like a 78 or something like that. And he was huge. Like it looked like he was like six foot 10. I didn't know if I was getting Lord of the Rings. Do you know what they did with the hobbits? You know, the force perspective thing. I didn't know if that was the case, but he looked ginormous. He's huge, long legs. And I saw him throw and I was like, dude. This is Randy Johnson. This is the next Randy Johnson. And then, of course, in the most spring training fashion of all time, when you're looking at it, I'm trying to figure out who it is. He doesn't have a name on the back of his jersey, while everybody else on the Dodgers in the field has a name on the back of their jersey. And I was like, that's just, that's peak spring training right there. Of course, the one guy that doesn't have the name on his back is is the is the pitcher, and there's only one guy out there that doesn't have the name on the back of his jersey. Like, just peak spring training. It was it was great. And then... uh and then, yeah, he, he was six foot 10 or whatever, and he was throwing gas. I was like, this is Randy Johnson. This is the next Randy Johnson. I'm watching the next Randy Johnson now. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he'll ever make it to the MLB. Hopefully he does, because when I see him, hopefully he'll have a name on the back of his jersey. And then I'll be like, oh, that's him. That's the guy I saw from spring training. That'll be a cool moment if that ever happens to me. Okay, uh, we, we got changes. We got changes in the rules. Probably the most drastic rule changes in baseball uh, in recent memory, I would say over this past off season, uh, other than maybe like the universal DH, uh, we had the uh, like the the amount of timeouts you can take or whatever the the, the mound visit rule book uh, rule that was implemented as well um, most recently. But these are these are bigger, especially one. There's only one that's probably there's the biggest. There's a there's a medium and then there's like a lower tier in terms of biggest. Uh, the biggest one so far, anyways, that's definitely uh, bringing up the most amount of. Skepticism and then backlash, if you will, even though I like it, is the uh, the pitch clock. We got a pitch clock now, ladies and gentlemen. It's a very cool, unique tool, and I like it very much. It's 15 seconds uh, in between pitches if there's nobody on. It's 20 seconds if there's one guy on, and I think it's 25 seconds with two guys on, essentially. Uh, and the batter has to be in the batter's, batter's box looking at the pitcher ready to go when the pitch clock is down to eight seconds. And then, obviously, they have the pitcher has the rest of those eight seconds to uh, pitch the ball, obviously. And uh, I love it so far. Uh, it's blow, It's making games blow by, which is good. I hate baseball purists. I hate to be that guy. I'm sorry. I used to be one of you as well. But here's the thing: the 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 broad, the broad, the broad spectrum of things. Uh, your your game was getting boring, and people weren't watching anymore. Okay, it was getting passed by by sports like soccer in terms of people actually wanting to watch, especially in the younger generation, uh, the, the, because of, because of how long the games were. I mean, Yankees Red Sox games uh, before the pitch clock uh, felt like they went four hours every single time, and uh, it was. Not something I would see myself wanting to go to other than, I mean, I guess, you know, I am a Red Sox fan. I mean, I love watching them beat the Yankees, uh, but four and a half hours to watch a baseball game is like, you know, let's chill out a little bit. Uh, so 
they've implemented the pitch clock, and it's worked so far. It's blown down the times. Uh, the spring training games over the weekend uh, so far have averaged two hours and 37 minutes, uh, and you know it's just one weekend's worth. But uh, as a whole, in spring training in 2022, the average game length was three hours and one minute. So already getting about half an hour shaved off of game time. And I think it's working very well. Uh, there are There is one thing I would probably change from it. Uh, I think that... If you didn't know, uh, the, there was a game between the Red Sox and the Braves this weekend that ended on a pitch clock strike. It was the base of the bases were loaded for the Braves. It was the bottom of the ninth possibility of a walk off with the guy at the plate uh, with either a walk or a hit, you know, or hit by pitch or anything like that. It was a three two count. And uh, they were the game was tied 66 between the two teams, bottom of the ninth and batters getting back into the batter's box, getting ready to go and uh, took too long. A, a pitch clock strike, he's out, game over, game ends in a tie. Uh, that's probably not what the MLB would have wanted uh, as their first, you know, weekend as in spring training. That one of being that being one of the most uh, one of the most passed around clips that we saw all weekend. But I like the implementation of it as a whole. I think it's better for the game itself. I think it's going to be more watchable for a lot of just the common fans, the basic fans, which who who is really the the demographic that you're going for for the classics, the older people, the 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 old heads and stuff like that. Like me, you're going to get me to watch no matter what. Like I'm watching baseball regardless because I love baseball. If you want just you know people that are just sitting off to the side to watch baseball. That's how you're going to do it. It's a shorter game. It's quick. There's more action. You know, that's how you're going to get people to watch the game. Um, but with the game ending on a pitch clock strike, I would probably change it so it maybe doesn't happen in the ninth inning. I would say maybe let's take the pitch clock off in the ninth inning, let the game flow a little bit more naturally in the ninth inning, especially if it's a game like that where it's tied six to six, the bases are loaded. It can't, the game cannot, God forbid, we get to a World Series. And I don't think we'll ever get to this point because I think by the time we get to June or July, I think everybody's going to get used to it at this point. I, I doubt we'll see very many uh, pitch clock strikes or anything like that or pitch clock balls or anything like that in you know July or August or anything because by then, I think a lot of the pitchers and the batters will be used to it. Um, but God forbid, World Series comes around. It's the bottom of the ninth. The tying runner is on second or something like that in game seven. And the game ends on a pitch clock strike or something like that. That would be absolute worst case scenario. So I would say... The only the only thing I would change in that sense is maybe don't have it in the ninth inning. Just let the ninth inning flow a little bit better, uh, a little bit more naturally, uh, and see what happens that way. I just think it'd be better for baseball, and then you're not dealing with the controversial endings like that, uh, like we saw in spring training. That's the only difference I think I would change from the pitch clock so far. There was a video, a very popular video going around on Twitter as well, um, from 2016, Pedro Baez, who was... I think he's still in the league. If he is, if he isn't still in the league, I can't, I can't really remember. But 2016, he was with the Cubs, or excuse me, not the Cubs, the Dodgers. Um, and uh, he was a pain to watch. He was one of the, in terms of how much time he took in between, uh, in between pitchers, he was the absolute, one of the absolute hardest people to watch play the game of baseball. Uh, and in 2016, it was the uh, the NLCS, NLCS, NLDS, one of the two in 2016, uh, and they were playing the Cubs, uh, and he. He's a relief pitcher, and he was pitching to David Ross, and it was, I don't remember what the count was, but there was a runner on second, uh, so he was kind of, you know, playing with the the runner on second as well, trying to uh, force him off of a, a better leadoff point or whatever it was, uh, try to catch him in a pickoff move, that sort of thing, and uh, they superimposed that uh, video of Pedro Baez taking an eternity to throw the the next pitch to, da- to David Ross with a video of Jose Altuve uh, hitting an inside the park home run and they were counting how many inside the park home runs 
Jose Altuve could get before Pedro Baez threw his next pitch. And the number, you'll never guess how many it was. It was seven. They showed the clip of Jose Altuve hitting the ball just straight out of right after he hits the ball and starts running. And they just ran that over and on repeat over and over again until Pedro Baez threw his next pitch. And it took seven inside the park home runs before Pedro Baez threw the next pitch uh, in that at bat. It was so bad. If you go on, like, I think it's really going to change the way we watch baseball when this starts going, like when we have less pitch clock strikes or anything or pitch clock balls or anything like that, when it stops really pausing the game that way, I think we're going to get, uh, I think people are going to get way more used to it. And I think, I think it's going to be so much better for the game. It's just going to be a lot more fun to watch. People are going to be able to come in, get in two and a half hours worth of a ball game, get out. And you're not going to have to, you're not going to be dealing with the four hour ball games anymore that uh, people were, uh, that was really turning away the casual fan from watching the game. And especially in the world that we live in uh, today where everything is immediate, uh, you know, TikTok is one of the most popular apps in the world for kids and uh, they're getting instant videos and all that stuff like that, where they can just watch it right out, whatever they need, whatever they want to see, they could see it really uh, in an instant, super fast. And baseball was a complete opposite of that, a complete uh, disruption from the means uh, in that end where you're sitting there more often than not watching, not watching a whole lot happen uh, for four hours in a game. And uh, obviously that's going to turn away a lot of casual fans. And now I think it's going to be better. Um, And the other one that I think it will be better in the long run for the game uh, that kind of ties into the, uh, the, not a lot of action going on, I guess, is, uh, for for the casual fan or anything like that is the banning of the shift. Uh, it looks like it's going to be, I mean, obviously, it's going to be the easiest to get used to. Teams are just, you know, uh, it was weird having the shift for a lot of uh, baseball players because since they come up and they're used to either playing shortstop or second pace, you know, you don't call them all the way over to the other bag to play, you know, right behind the second base bag. And, you know, now they're just going to play in their natural natural position of shortstop or second base and you're not going to be moving around that much. And I think that one is going to be... Uh, that one's going to be a good one for the game just because you're going to get more action from a lot of guys that have, I mean, honestly kind of suffered from the, uh, from the shift in most recent years. A lot of guys uh, might see, might even thrive from the situation. Jose Ramirez, he was shifting on the fifth most in the league last year. Uh, and he still, I believe led the league in doubles as well. So expect him to have a monster year. Anthony Rizzo gets shifted on all the time when he was batting. And I think it's going to be great for him. He's going to be able to shoot balls right through that, uh, through that hole in between first and second base all the time. He's going to be able to hit uh, doubles into that uh, right center gap as well. I mean, he's going to be, I think he's going to thrive under that situation as well. Joey Gallo could have a good season because of it. Uh, They had, they had monster shifts on Joey Gallo where they would basically shift the entire outfield and the infield onto one side and just said uh, they, they dared you. They dared him to try to find a hole or hit the ball over their heads or bunt. And he never did. That was the Joey Gallo special where I'm either striking out or I'm hitting a home run over everybody's head and I'm only pulling the ball. That's the Joey Gallo special. So it's possible that we see Joey Gallo maybe have a bounce back year as well. Uh, Corey Seager could have a very good season. He was shifted on about 92.8% of the time whenever he came up to the bat, uh, came up to the plate in 656 plate appearances. Uh, So I I would expect him to maybe have a good bounce back year. And there's a ton of guys. I mean, Kyle Schwarber was 90%. Uh, play uh, uh, shifted uh, to the to the right side of the field. Kyle Tucker as well. Cody Bellinger, Joey Gallo. Like I said, I'm just looking at a list here. Matt Carpenter as well. Max Muncy. So there should be a big bounce in production uh, just from you know. It, I, I'm I'm assuming we'll see a lot more guys see that open hole on the right side in between first and second base or something like that, and see it as more of an opportunity instead of just trying to hit the ball over the second baseman's head or whoever or find that you know in order to find that hole in the outfield where the shift isn't. Uh, maybe we're seeing more 
uh, more more choke down swings and that sort of thing and trying to find holes to get other people up to the bat. Maybe not with the people that I mentioned, probably not Joey Gallo. I can't see that from him. Max Muncy, probably not, even though he's a great on base. Uh, he's great at getting on base. Um, but I think we can see well, we're we're going to see a lot more offense just because the shift is gone. And I think it's probably uh, going to be better for baseball as well, especially for, again, the casual fan who is really the MLB is really needing to try and get, especially during the summer when there's nothing else going on. Like the fact that they're having trouble bringing in an audience where they're the only sport that's going on really in our, in our uh, part of the world anyways, um, in terms of the United States uh, that they're struggling with that is a, uh, is a problem. And I think this will be good for it. And the other one, the lower sized one, the, the lower tier um, is the, the bigger base size. Uh, they increased the base size. I think just a tad. It's not like, you know, it's it's not a, a ton, but it's definitely noticeable on the field, obviously. Uh, and it's already changing uh, a little bit. Some of the run game, the steal of the stolen bases game. Uh, looking at this is from Jason Collette on Twitter. Uh, he made a graph essentially that showed uh, the table, the ta- a table essentially that shows the spring training steal rates versus the regular season steal rates. Uh, and right now, the the steal rate in spring training is a one point zero nine. Uh, it hasn't been above a 1.0 since 2018 and hasn't been anywhere near 1.09 since 2012. So people are already trying to steal. Uh, runners are already trying to steal bases more. I think that's going to be good for the game as well. Cause it's going to implement, I mean the steal, I mean the, the, the stolen base game was essentially out. I mean, they were basically telling people don't try to steal bags anymore. Cause it's not worth it. It's not worth getting an out over on uh, second base. If we have a power hitter coming up and you're making a two run home run, that was really the mindset. And now if the base is a little bit bigger, there's a bigger advantage for the runners to try to get to second base or even third base on a stolen base. And, uh, and we might see that more often. I mean, we already are in spring training and I would imagine we're going to see that more in the spring training or uh, in the regular season as well. And I think that's going to be better for the game. We're going to get a more implementation, more action in during the game as well. Even if there's not a batter hitting a ball, we're going to see stolen bases and stuff like that. So that's a good thing for the game as well. I'm excited, and it's uh, I think it's gone well so far in spring training. I, I'm I'm excited for it. Again, honeymoon phase just because it's baseball. I'm like, all right, baseball's back. We're good. I don't need. I don't care what they change. I'm excited to watch baseball. Let's just do it that way. But I think the pitch clock has been good. Again, games have been flying by, and I think it's been fantastic for the game so far. Uh, and it's just going to invite casual fans to watch because it's going to be not as much of an inclination of hey, it could go four hours. There's no clock on this. We have no idea how long it's going to take. You know, there's nothing wrong with having maybe a little bit of like half a clock on there. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Let's just watch the game. You know, they, there's still technically no clock on it. We could have the pitch clock and still have a, a team go for 10 runs in an inning. We saw it during spring training. Actually, the Padres scored uh, like nine runs in one inning against the Diamondbacks or whatever. And uh, I mean, that's a win win for the for the MLB. You're getting uh, shorter games if the game is not, you know, the most uh, the most fun to watch. And if it is long, it's probably because teams are scoring a crazy amount of runs and sticking in innings for a long time, not because. Pedro Baez is sitting there taking seven inside the park home runs from Jose Altuve to throw the next pitch. So I think it's a win-win for the MLB and I think it's working out pretty well so far. There's just a couple changes that I think they should make, but minor ones, very, very minor ones right now. And uh, we'll see what they do. I'm excited. I'm, I mean, spring training's here and the regular season, the WBC too, the WBC is right around the corner as well. We'll talk about that a little bit, uh, a little bit more next week once spring training gets a little bit uh, more cleared out with the, the bigger players as uh, the WBC comes around. So we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Um, okay. We got another big pot, uh, a big, a big MLB storyline happened. Uh, this was over the weekend as well. Yeah. I think it was on Saturday going into Sunday, something like that. Um, Manny Machado, he resigned with 
the San Diego Padres. We saw a lot of people talking about how he was going to, um, well, he said he was going to opt out of his uh, Padres contract at the end of the year. Padres obviously didn't like that. They said, no siree, no siree, you're not going to do that. So they offered him an 11-year, $350 million deal. He signed it, obviously. Uh, He will be signed with the Padres until 2034, until where he will be 41 years old. 41. And the contract has the same $31.8 $31.8 million average annual average. Why did I say it like that? Average annual value every single year. So he'll be making $31.8 million base salary, essentially every single year on this contract. Um, I guess the only reason I put this on here, because I'm concerned about this deal. Uh, Machado, good player. He's coming off a very solid year with the Padres. Um, and I think he will be good with them for the next few seasons. I mean, honestly, none of this, what I'm about to say will matter if they go on to win a championship this year. I mean, it literally does not matter. Uh, but in the long run, this could hurt them just because you're not going to see Machado opt out of this deal with a 31.8 million average annual value every year. You're not going to get that at the 30, at the age of 35, uh, 35 plus, And he's already 29 years old. If I remember correctly, uh, 28, 29 years old, and um, you're not going to get that from basically any other 28, 29-year-old in the game, or excuse me, 35-year-old in the game, and uh, so he's not going to opt out of it or anything like that, and uh, you're going to have a very tough time trading him down the line if you absolutely need to, which a deal like this, more often than not, you're going to see them push for something like that towards the end of the deal because, or you know, just cut him and eat the money in the end because he won't be providing as much. That's just my assumption and kind of what the evidence has pointed to over, you know, the course of MLB history uh, when it comes to these deals, unless you're like Barry Bonds, which, you know, I think he may have had a little something extra going on. I'm not sure though. Um, but he'll have, he'll be 35 plus he'll be 35 years old and there'll still be six more years on that contract at $31.8 million. And uh fan graphs did a fantastic job of looking through um, a couple players who also were uh, they were through their age 29 season who had been uh, position players worth between 41 to 51 uh, wins above replacement. He sits at Machado sits at 46.6 war right now. So he's through his 29. So he's older than I thought, actually he's through his 29 season. I guess he's 30 technically, cause I'm just doing the math in my head here. Um, and he has a 46.6 war. There have only been, there have only been three, excuse me, four, four players in MLB history that went on to have a better war wins above replacement in their thirties than they did uh, in their twenties. And that's only the guys from 41 to 51 wins above replacement through their age 29 season. There's only been four or three guys that have done it. Four guys that have done it. Excuse me. I keep mixing up my numbers here. Uh, Four guys that have done it. Napla joy, Joe Morgan, Mike Schmidt and Hannes Wagner. And a couple of those guys are a lot older uh, and Hannes Wagner played more in uh, a lot more in his age 30. So did, uh, so did Mike Schmidt. So did Joe Morgan. Um, so not a whole lot of confidence coming into this one. You're going to be paying a guy a, a lot of money uh, annually. Anyways, a lot of money, uh, into their well into their thirties and then past that a little bit as well into their forties. Uh, I can't, the problem I have with it more than anything, honestly, is you're paying a, a guy that's I mean, if he was 26, this amount of money would make sense uh, for a guy like him, a guy of his caliber, a guy that's played hit this well. I think it would make a lot more sense if he was 26 years old to pay, pay him, you know, an 11 year salary, 11 year, $400 million salary. And uh, the fact that they waited this long for the four, I mean, they didn't really wait, but uh, the fact that they're offering this up when he's 30 years old 
doesn't really make a lot of sense, especially when you have a guy like like Juan Soto waiting in the wings, who is only 24 years old. He is playing on this team, so they're going to have first uh, first uh, dibs at keep trying to keep him. He plays on the Padres, and he's only 24 years old. So if it were me, I probably would have let Manny Machado opted, opt out, pay all the money you would needed you would have needed to keep Juan Soto, who was younger. You could have paid him the 10 to 11 years. Uh, he's 24 years old, so 10 to 11 years, he'll be 35 uh, getting into uh, you know the, that that area where the, you really start to see uh, MLB players start to kind of die down in terms of terms of their effectiveness, and I think there's only been like like four guys in the history of the MLB who, at the age of 35 and up, have had a four uh, a four WAR at the age of 35 and above in position players. So uh, you know you're really banking on Manny Machado to be the outlier. Uh, in this situation, and I think if it were me, I mean, they're probably going to pay him regardless, pay Juan Soto regardless, because it's the Padres, and they spent uh, an absurd amount of money in the offseason. We'll talk a little bit more about the payrolls in general here in just a second, um, but I think it would make more sense to see Juan Soto. I mean, they're they're going to pay, they're going to have to pay Juan Soto uh, north of $500 million, I would imagine, uh, and just anybody that wants Juan Soto is something that, that's probably they're going to have to pay uh, five north of five hundred million dollars to try to keep him. So I think it would have been smarter to try to get uh, try to sign Juan Soto first, and then if Manny Machado wants to opt out of his contract after that, I think you let him walk, in my opinion, um, and see what he can do elsewhere. Obviously, I mean that could backfire too as well. But Juan Soto, to me, just has the if you're trying to create you know a, a longer tenured situation for the Padres then Juan Soto seems to be the better option just because he's younger. You could sign him to that big deal and you're going to get a lot of his prime in those years and a lot of those, uh, in, in a lot in that, in those contract years as well. So it just, and when you have a guy like that on your team already, that's already younger, uh, that's going to fetch a price tag like that. I don't think it makes sense to pay the guy. That's the older version, uh, or the, an older, uh, an older version of that player that's waiting in the wings, essentially, um, that amount of money as well. So it felt reactionary, honestly, because of the, because of the, uh, the the interview that he had, where he said he was going to opt out, it felt a little bit uh, a little bit reactionary by the Padres front office. Um, but it doesn't matter now because regardless, he's going to be there till he's forty one. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. We'll see how how good it lasts. I guess if he's you know able to stay healthy and what have you uh, for the next few years, then I mean, and, and again, if he wins, if he, if they win a championship, then none of what I'm talking about matters. It will be worth it. That's all that matters. It will be worth it if they win a title. Uh, with the team they've put together here. And they still have Juan Soto this year. I think uh, he'll go into arbitration next year, if I remember correctly. Um, and then, you know, after that, he'll be a free agent after a couple of years in arbitration. So we'll see what they do. I think, uh, I, you know, kids or parents, if you're listening to this, just here's my only advice to you. If, if you're a parent of a child, teach your kid how to play baseball. Okay. If you want your, if you want to set your kid up to, to have, you know, generational wealth, uh, teach your kid how to play baseball, teach them how to play it very well. Uh, and then, uh, and especially, you know, you, uh, knock on wood, you, you don't have very many risks of, uh, bodily injury that lasts until your seventies or anything like that. A lot of those guys seem like they're pretty well off, uh, getting into older age, a little, little, uh, you know, a little sore, a little rough around the edges, obviously. Uh, but you know, not severe brain damage or CTE or anything like that. Baseball's pretty safe in that end. Uh, and, uh, and you're going to get paid more than any other person, on planet earth when it comes to playing a professional sport. So parents teach your kid how to play baseball, just teach your kid how to play baseball. 
teach them how to play it effectively, take them to camps. You know, if you want to, you want to start putting in that, uh, that inkling for generational wealth, make them play baseball, make them play it well. You know what I mean? That's, that's how you do it right there. Okay. And they, they probably won't ever make it to the MLB because almost nobody does. That's just the facts. But Hey, if he does, if he does, there you go. He or she does. Who knows what's going to happen in the next 20 years. If he or she does, there you go. Then that's the future. Uh, all right, let's move on. Speaking of the payrolls, we were talking a little bit about the Padres and their payroll and how much they, how much money they spent. An absurd amount of more money than they have more money than God. I, I just baseball teams in general have more money than God. Just period in general. Uh, so let's talk about some of them. There was uh, one team that was spending like you know the world was ending, like they were trying to buy a ticket onto a. A ship that was leaving planet Earth because Earth was dying. Like that's that's what they were spending. They they thought the world was ending, uh, so they thought they would spend as much as much money as possible, and uh, we'll get out of here. That's that's basically what uh, one team was doing. And that one team, ladies and gentlemen, out of all the teams that I think you're thinking of, this one might give you a head scratcher because this has not been the norm. Uh, the New York Mets. Yeah, the Mets. They are going to lead the team or lead the league. I guess is what I should say. In, uh, in payroll for the highest payroll for the first time since 1989. So the Mets payroll in 1989, a measly $21.3 million in total MLB payroll in 1989, uh, or in total Mets payroll in 1989. The total MLB payroll, this is for every team in the league. This is a very rough calculation. I basically went through and added them up from a list that I found. This could be completely wrong, but I, you know, whatever. Well, I'm just using it for metaphorical purposes. Uh, the total MLB payroll in 1989 from all, I think there were 26 teams at the time back then, uh, $370 million. That's it. That's all I had. It was $370 million in 1989 for the entire payroll of the MLB in terms of the, the roster that they had put together for every MLB team. The Mets payroll in 2023 that puts them at the top of the list for the highest payroll for the first time since 1989. They're paying $336 million. They are only $40 million off matching the total, the total MLB payroll for 1989 just their team in 2023 is almost about to hit that what the hell uh the Mets spent a lot of money they spent an absurd amount of money ladies and gentlemen uh they have like I said the highest payroll they I think they lead the league in cash spending as well in the offseason uh 347 million dollars in total cash spent as well uh so I mean as so far and uh, that's you know we haven't even gotten into uh the tax bill and all that stuff as well it's going to come around to bite them obviously because they are uh, gleefully into the luxury tax, uh, $336 million payroll. They are in front of the, uh, Yankees who are the number two team. They spent $267 million. Philadelphia Phillies are third. They spent $231 million and the Padres are fourth for $223 million. And the Dodgers are fifth Dodgers low on the list. Not, not very often you see the Dodgers fifth on the list for, uh, the highest payroll, um, because the Dodgers make uh, more money than God with their with their uh, with their regional uh, their regional sports contract as well. So, uh, but they're they're spending two hundred seventeen million dollars this season on uh, payroll. So the Mets are leading in terms of payroll. They're gonna we're gonna have six teams, a record, an MLB record, six teams set to pay the luxury tax in the MLB, and the Mets are going to pay ninety nine million dollars. Specifically, Steve Cohen, the owner of the New York Mets, the new owner of the New York Mets uh, from. I think he started, I think he became owner in 2021. Is that right? 2021, 2020, something like that. Uh, he purchased them, and now he's going to be paying a $99 million luxury tax to spend the amount of money that he has spent, and the MLB is going to 
slap them on the wrist. You've seen the Warriors start to do this in the NBA a little bit where they don't care what the luxury tax is. They're going to pay it regardless because they have all the money in the world and it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm, I would be, I would be surprised, um, to be honest with you, maybe not the MLB because the MLB has never had a luxury or a, uh, a, a salary cap or anything like that. Uh, the NBA does, they have a much more stricter, you know, cap situation uh, and the luxury tax situation. Uh, I would be surprised if I would not be surprised, excuse me, if we started talking a little bit more about, uh, the, the sports in general, any, all of these sports in general, talking about possibly, putting in a hard cap limit or something like that, or your, your, your team cannot go over this limit in spending similar to what a lot of the European uh, sports teams, uh, European soccer clubs do as well. Um, but that would be a very hard thing for the players union to have to agree with as well. So, I mean, I say I would not be surprised to see it, but then again, uh, it's probably not going to happen. But given the fact that uh, the Mets are going to pay $99 million in luxury tax, and there's six teams in the MLB that are going to be ta- uh, paying uh, tax at the, at some point in uh, this season. It looks like the, the Mets, they'll have a tax bill of $99 million. I just said that. Yankees are going to have a $24 million tax bill as well. Padres are going to have a $10 million tax bill. Phillies are a $6 million tax bill. The Toronto Blue Jays have a $4 million tax bill. And the Los Angeles Dodgers have a $2.854 million tax bill. So what does that lead to, ladies and gentlemen? What is all that money accumulating to? This is the total MLB payroll in 2023. Remember, the total MLB payroll in 1989 was $370 million. The Mets are nearly matched that by themselves spending this year, this offseason, with $336 million spent in the offseason. Or I guess that's not spent. $336 million in, in payroll this upcoming season. Uh, the total MLB payroll, again, a rough estimate. I did all the addition by myself. Thank you very much. Very good job. Don't know if it's correct, but it was a very rough estimation. The total MLB payroll for every single team in 2023 will be $4.409 billion. Not, not million, billion dollars. $4.409 billion. And that's just the 40-man roster. That's not accounting everything else that goes into getting this whole operation running and and working you know your coke machines you're you know paying off any of the other staff in the uh, in the in the in the wings of every of every MLB team you know that sort of thing that's just that's just the 40 man rosters 4.409 billion dollars get your kids to play baseball ladies and gentlemen that is the only thing i have to say after that just get your kids just start teaching your kids baseball get them on the old diamond and make them play baseball. Okay. That's, I mean, they're spending $4.409 billion on payroll in total. There's a little slice, a little crumb off of that. A little crumb off of that can possibly go to you or your child who is listening to this. So go play some baseball, kids. Uh, all right. Another thing I really want to talk about here because it's more upcoming. We talked about Manny Machado's deal. Uh, I touched on Juan Soto. It's probably going to be getting a deal here pretty soon. Uh, but the big one, uh, the big one that is going to shock the world, I think, when everybody sees it is going to be Shohei Otani's deal. Uh, Shohei Otani, he is he agreed on a one-year, $30 million deal with the Angels to avoid arbitration this offseason, uh, to avoid arbitration. So, like, they didn't even go to arbitration to agree on that money. So, it's possibly could have gotten more out of arbitration if he went to arbitration in that situation. But he didn't sign the one-year deal worth $30 million to avoid it. He's going to be an uh, he's going to be a a free agent this offseason, this upcoming offseason, and he is going to fetch I can guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, guarantee you, 
he is going to fetch north of $500 million uh, with his deal with probably an average annual value of $50 million. He's 28 years old. He's a little bit older than, uh, or he's a little bit younger, excuse me, than uh, Manny Machado. He just signed that 11-year, uh, was it $440 million? What did I say earlier? $350 million deal. Excuse me. Uh, $350 million deal. And Shohei, a better player than Manny Machado. Basically, um, not, you know, not, not a better defender, obviously, because, you know, Manny Machado plays third base. And Shohei does not, but Shohei, he's also a pitcher and he hits. Okay. He is the most unique player that the game of baseball has ever seen. He could possibly win you a Cy Young while also leading the league in home runs. That's, that is really, I'm not kidding when I say that. That is not out of the realm of possibility uh, from Shohei Otani. He doesn't play in the most hitter friendly ballpark right now in Los Angeles. Uh, but if you put him in a hitter-friendly park or something like that, you could very easily be challenging uh, the uh, the home run lead in the MLB and then possibly be on the, the run for winning a Cy Young Award as well. And uh, that is worth probably an average annual value of $50 million a year. I would not be surprised to see him sign some sort of 10-year deal, 11-year deal, something like that, for $550 million. It could be more than that by the time this next offseason comes. Maybe not. We have some other, you know, workings going on in the MLB that uh, could hinder the uh, the spending a little bit more. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, but he almost certainly, like it's it's written in ink at this point, he is going to get five hundred million dollars plus uh, when he signs his next deal. Whoever it's with, the Dodgers, the Yankees, whoever can really afford that amount of money, the Mets, if somehow they come up with some way to get that kind of money, they will certainly be going after that. Padres as well. I mean, really just think of the richest owners you can think of. And um, if they're not cheap, they will be pushing to get Shohei Otani. Because the thing is, Shohei, a generational talent, probably all around the best baseball player I've ever seen play the game just because he can do, he can pitch like he's a Cy Young winner uh, and he could hit lead the league in, in home runs. I mean, really, truly the most unique player I've ever seen, arguably the best just all around player I've ever seen as well. Um, and that in itself, is probably going to make it worth the $500 million plus million you're going to end up paying him, the $50 million average annual bill that you're going to have to pay him as well. Probably going to be worth it for that. But if that's not worth it to you, you also have to remember that Shohei Otani, being from Japan, uh, he really brings in his own economy. Uh, the Japanese, the people in Japan, huge, huge baseball fans. They love Shohei Otani. And if you watch any Angels games as well, if you watch, just watch one home Angels game this year, you will see... Japanese advertisers, uh, Japanese advertisements on billboards and stuff like that around uh, the stadium as they pan the camera around and stuff like that. But the, the behind home plate billboards that that kind of scroll or whatever, um, they they will have advertisements there strictly because Shohei Otani is there and they know that the people of Japan or the people of Japanese descent or something like that, that are Angels fans are watching because of Shohei Otani. You are really bringing in an entire economy just because of Shohei Otani and how famous he is over in Japan. People will watch the Angels game or whoever he ends up signing with uh, just because Shohei is on that team. And you will see advertisements uh, of Japanese companies of whatever it is written in, in Japanese because they're only advertising to the people of Japan or Japanese people who are watching the game. And they're certainly watching the game for Shohei Otani. You will only see them uh, written in Japanese or anything like that. So, if that isn't if the the first thing wasn't worth it, where he's going to come in, lead the league in home runs, also throw you know a two point one seven ERA or something ridiculous like that, uh, come out and pitch you know have fifteen wins on the season as a pitcher or something ridiculous like that, uh, then you also need to bring into uh, 
take into account that he's also going to be bringing in his own, literally his own economy from uh, the mainland, uh, mainland of Japan as well, because he is such an icon over there. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you just watch any any uh, any Angels games this year, especially ones where he's pitching or, or something like that, um, there will be advertisements from Japanese companies, Jap- Japanese corporations or something like that written in Japan, uh, excuse me, written in Japanese uh, about, you know, selling, uh, you know, I don't even, I don't know what they sell, but, you know, a restaurant or something like that, all written in Japanese, and uh, they will sell, and you'll see a huge amount of uh, the Japanese people, Japanese people in the stands, or just, you know, Asian people in general there to watch Shohei Otani, because that is how much influence he has over in that side of the world, and he will bring you an entire economy's worth of uh, of new, of casual viewers, of uh, people that maybe aren't huge fans of the MLB, uh, but are fans of Shohei Otani, that is what you're getting with Shohei Otani. So do not, I mean, expect him to reach, to grab north of $500 million uh, when it comes to his next contract with an AAV, an average annual value of probably, I would imagine, close to $50 million a year. I would be stunned if it was less than that because he's 28. Nobody's going to sign him to a 15-year deal. Uh, nobody's going to sign him to where he's 43, but, you know, whatever, it's 40 to 41 seems like the breakoff point. So a 10, 11-year deal for $550 million or something like that with an average annual value of $50 million does not seem out of the realm of possibility, to be honest with you. Uh, Soto was the other one. We talked about him a little bit already. Soto, when he was with the Nationals, uh, when he was younger, obviously, not too long ago, uh, he turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract uh, from the Nationals. So he is almost certainly going to get a uh, 15-year deal as well probably north of $500 million as well, just because of how the uh, the money is forked out in this league. It feels like there's a, a record-breaking deal in the MLB every single offseason, and I think Shohei and Juan Soto are more than certainly going to be breaking that $500 million, that half-a-billion-dollar mark uh, come next offseason. I would, would not be surprised. I would see. I would imagine Soto's going to get the longer contract just because he's younger, um, but Shohei, a little bit older, so he would get a shorter contract worth probably around the same amount of money though i would be surprised if uh you know uh, one really you know outshone the other one in terms of uh outshine the other one in terms of how much money they're getting i think they're both probably going to get around the same amount of money when it comes to uh the next negotiating time uh speaking of that it could be difficult if you wait too long for the mlb if you're the mlb you're an owner or anything like that actually not even just mlb if you're a fan of a uh, you know, I mean, owner, if you're a fan of even just a regional sports team in general, you have probably heard of an RSN An RSN is a regional sports network. Almost everybody in Sheridan has heard of the AT&T, uh, sports net. Is that what they call it? They change it all the time. It used to be root sports. Now it was like the AT&T sports net. That's where the Rockies games are shown. Uh, you have altitude that shows the Denver nuggets games, a bunch of RSNs. Those are the regional sports networks. The regional sports networks are going through a very difficult time right now. Uh, Bally Sports, or I guess Diamond Sports, is the name of the uh, the Diamond Sports Group's Bally Sports. A really stupid name. Uh, that is the Bally Sports is the more the more popular one. It used to be Fox Sports Oklahoma, you know, or Fox Sports whatever uh, for those regional teams, and uh, they are the more popular one. I think they have ni- they have nineteen regional sports networks. They are fourteen MLB teams, sixteen NBA teams, and twelve. NHL teams, uh, they're in trouble. They are in trouble financially. Two weeks ago, uh, Diamond, Diamond Sports Group, uh, skipped a $150 billion, or excuse me, $140 million, excuse me, dollar payment and entered a 30-day bankruptcy grace period, which could uh, be controlled, court-controlled, 
a court-controlled restructuring in which teams will be able to recollect their own media rights. That is in the next 30 days. That happened two weeks ago, so I guess it's more like uh, two weeks from now, essentially, that they uh, they skipped that $140 million payment uh, and then essentially entered a bankruptcy situation uh, in which teams can start to uh, collect on their own rights. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred has stated, he stated last week, that they will terminate the contract from Valley Sports if they don't pay for every single one of those broadcast agreements. And the MLB is prepared today to do direct-to-consumer streaming via their MLB TV platform, probably the best streaming platform, which is crazy to me that they were so far, I mean, baseball, the the ancient people that they were, it took them this long to change like a very minor thing, well, I guess not really minor, but change, you know, something to make their game a little bit faster. It took them this long. They are really, they really were the pioneers when it came to streaming. They're their gold standard when it comes to uh, ML, uh, when it comes to uh, streaming, you know, uh, out of market games, that sort of thing. Like I can watch the Red Sox through MLB.tv, no problem. I never have any issues with it really. Uh, but you know, they're, they're the gold standard when it comes to that storm, that thing. Better than the NFL, better than the NBA. It's really weird that they are the gold standard in something that's more advanced than the like way more advanced than the game of baseball itself. Um, and they would be able to do that if uh, the uh, RSNs are unable to make a payment and pay for uh, every single one of those broadcast agreements. And that could lead to massive shifts in the uh, in the world of regional sports networks and just the way we watch a lot of those regional sports. We won't have to worry about NFL. They're covered regionally by, you know, the the broader version of Fox, uh, CBS, NBC. They already have those partnership agreements, ESPN as well. They don't really have a regional network, sports network type of situation. And they don't have a regional sports network situation that they have to come back to. But the NHL, the NBA, the MLB are, are going to have to look, really seriously look at different situations and how they're going to go about broadcasting their regionally televised games. Uh, you could see them go di- directly to streaming. We just saw uh, NFL Sunday Ticket move only to Google, go to YouTube, and that's the only way place you're going to be able to get NFL Sunday ticket is through YouTube TV. It could be a similar situation with the MLB where they change it so that uh, if you get, uh, you know, if somebody buys it, we saw it happen with the MLS actually more recently, MLS basically ditched their RSNs, their regional sports networks, and sold the product essentially, not the entire product, but the, the, the broadcasting rights to Apple TV. Apple TV is broadcasting every single one of the MLS games this year in a similar way that the regional sports networks would do it, where they would have a regional team doing each every single game. It's just run under the Apple umbrella. And that's more than likely what's going to happen to a lot of these teams uh, that have used Diamond Sports Group, Valley Sports in general, uh, and as well as AT&T Sportsnet. They failed, or they're leaning toward, uh, they made a partial payment on their debt collective recently, Warner Brothers and AT&T, uh, when they made a partial payment for their RSNs as well. That started leaning towards this similar situation where they might not be able to pay in the long run for that debt. So you're talking about AT&T now as well. Uh, whatever umbrella they have, I think that's the Rockies, the Pirates, and uh, one other team that use. Oh, the Astros. The Astros use that as well. Those three extra teams. You're talking about all these other teams that are going to be running out uh, if if you're not able, if, the, if any of those RSNs aren't able to make that payment and pay every single one of those teams for the broadcasting fees, Manfred's going to pull out. And you're going to have a situation where... All of those games, you're not going to be able to find them on television. You're going to have to find them either on MLB.tv, where they basically use their own platform. MLB uses their own platform to uh, show all of those games. They send them directly to streaming through some sort of agreement with Disney, uh, Hulu, Amazon, something like that, where all those games are now being broadcasted from any of those platforms. 
on Amazon, on uh, ESPN and ESPN Plus or whatever. And then, uh, you know, if, if, if Hulu wants to do it, it's from their platform. That is a very, I mean, it's not even a very real possibility. It's almost certainly how it's going to have to be changed because uh, Bally is careening towards bankruptcy right now. They're not going to be able to make that payment that they need to make uh, in or, and pay off of all these other broadcasting rights to all the other MLB teams, the NHL teams, and the NBA teams. And that, uh, that similar situation goes towards the NBA and the NHL as well. They're going to have to find a way to broadcast their own uh, uh, different broadcasting type of situation. And I think if uh, we were talking about the MLB trying to modernize with the pitch clock and everything like that, you're looking at a situation where you can see the MLB go directly to streaming. Take it out of a cable a cable package where the RSNs aren't going to be anymore. It could take it out of a cable package where the only thing that you're only way you're going to be able to see it is you can pick your specific team that you want to watch, or you could pick. I mean, this is basically what they do right now. With how, regardless, I mean, they I don't use any of my RSNs. I don't watch a lot of the Rockies at all just because they're not good uh, or anything like that. And I just buy you know I buy the whole the whole package for the MLB and I'll flick through whichever games are on. And uh, that is more than likely the way that they're just going to continue. They're going to ditch the RSNs. It's not going to be part of any sort of cable package or anything like that. It's just going to be something you're going to go to MLB.TV or if somebody buys up the rights, you're going to have to go to YouTube TV. It probably won't be YouTube TV since they bought the Sunday ticket, but it could be. Google's got an ungodly amount of money. Uh, Same with Apple as well. Uh, But you'll have to go to any of those and see if you could find one of those uh, and similar to what Amazon did to Thursday night football as well. But just imagine that with the entire MLB or the NHL or the NBA or all of the above or what have you, uh, that is probably what we're careening toward. It might not happen this year uh, just because they're probably not going to want to make that sudden drastic change in, you know, while spring training is going on right now, obviously there might be a couple that are still the same way as well. Like uh, the Red Sox have Nesson. There's a couple like Yes Network for the uh, for the the Yankees as well. So there's a couple other regional ones that are more locked down and not part of the umbrella of Diamond Sports Group or Bally Sports or anything like that. That it seemed like they're still probably going to stick around. So they'll still have the regional sports networks, but those ones that are run under Bally or the AT and T Sports Group or the Sportsnet or anything like that, those are more than likely going to go away, and you're going to have to drastically try to figure out how to drastically change your viewing experience for any of those teams that you want to watch, whether it be the Rockies, whether it be the Brewers, whether it be you know whoever. There's 14, basically half the league, who are going to be running out of uh, regional sports contracts, and uh, that's going to make a drastic change in how we watch all those teams. And I'm very, as I'm surprised at how little we're actually like. I don't see a lot of stories. Uh, in terms of you know the the national sports media or anything like that, uh, talking about this because this is a big change. I, it's a big leap for all of those teams. They haven't officially announced what they're going to have to do, but I mean, with Bally Sports and Diamond Sports Group careening towards bankruptcy, they're going to have to make a move at some point uh, in some way. Manfred said, and I pointed out, Manfred said he is. They are ready today. MOB is ready today to make that switch to streaming if they absolutely have to over to MLB.tv or whatever. So if if Bally Sports over the next 30 days or what have you says, hey, we can't make the payment. We're going to have to file for bankruptcy. We're going to have to restructure. We're not going to be able to pay off any of these teams anymore. Uh, we're going to have to back out of this contract. And Rob Manford and MLB will say, okay, sounds good to us. We're going to pull every contract then. We're not going to do any of those games under Bally Sports. That's just not how we're going to do it. We're not going to pay half the teams or the other team does or the other teams are waiting or the other half of the teams are waiting on a payment from you. We're just going to pull all of them. And they're just going to move them all over to MLB.tv and stream all of them like their Bally Sports, but on a uh, you know through an MLB.tv subscription instead instead of the uh, instead of 
through your cable box or whatever you're watching it on. And I think it's a good way for them, the MLB especially, to try to modernize it because most of the younger, the casual fans are looking through streaming anyways. Most of them have cut the cord for through cable boxes and all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm interested to see what happens. I was, I was kind of taken aback at what Manfred said. I mean, it makes sense, obviously, when he said uh, that they are ready today to uh, move on from RSN, from the RSNs, if that's, if that's what needs to happen. And uh, he was pretty, uh, I mean, he's, uh, they, they seem like they were like, they knew this was kind of coming. So they, they readied the ship, if you will. And uh, he made it seem like there isn't going to be really any change other than where you're watching it, uh, change in programming other than the, you know, the UI that you see on the screen and where you're watching it from, whether it be a smart TV, a smartphone, laptop, or what have you. Uh, rather than an actual cable box. So we'll see. And it's going to be the same thing for all those NHL teams, uh, 16 NBA teams as well. So we'll see what happens, but I expect a drastic change. I think in the coming months for a lot of these RSNs, especially the Bally sports ones, uh, because those, uh, those RSNs are starting to go under and go bankrupt. And I think the way we're going to have to start watching a lot of these games is not through a cable box or any of our regional sports networks or anything like that. It's through a subscription service to MLB TV, NBA TV, uh, NHL TV, or whatever. Uh, it's just going to change, and I think it's probably going to change pretty drastically pretty quickly. So um, I, I said previously I don't think it would happen this year, but again, with Manfred's quote, I it's very possible it happens this year uh, quicker than you'd think. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in the MLB. Uh, a lot of things going on in the MLB. 2023 is going to be a wild year for baseball, I think. A lot of, a lot of interesting stuff for pitch clock, new rule changes, uh, the WBC, USA, USA, you know, go USA, uh, you know, so on and so forth. We'll see what happens with baseball. Lots of drastic changes. I think they'll be for the better, though, in the long run. Um, also, with the RSN thing, we'll have to see how that affects uh, a lot of the spending as well, because instead of uh, a situation where you're seeing uh, basically local or uh, regional sports networks come in and negotiate for the entire MLB. It's possible you could see uh, they're, so they're, they're negotiating money for specific subscription services, and that changes uh, the amount of money that each team makes individually, and that could change the amount uh, amount that each team individually is making by themselves and how much they're willing to spend. Just something to think about. It could it could lead to more teams wanting to compete and be better early on because that's going to lead to more subscriptions or, uh, you know, or, you know, maybe even owners selling quicker and that sort of thing that are in it for more. Just the fact that you basically get guaranteed money if you end up buying a team uh, and in any sense in any of those leagues, because those regional sports contracts are so lucrative, just like, I mean, the Dodgers, similar one. They're not going to lead the, the RSN there is not going to have any trouble paying that bill. Uh, because of how lucrative that contract is and how much money they make off of showing the Dodgers in the greater California area. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Some of the RSNs are going to stay. Some are going to go. Some teams seem like they're going to be having to switch to some sort of subscription service through MLB.TV. Some might not. Who knows? It's it's wild and crazy. There's a a much better article breaking down the financials of it on uh, Fangraphs. It's a very well, very well written by uh, Ben Clemens. Kind of breaks down a lot of uh, the financials of it, what happened to uh, Diamond Sports on the back end, their stock buybacks, and all that stuff. I mean, it's very a lot more uh, fiscally driven, uh, a lot more fiscally driven, and it's a it's a great uh, a great article to read. So go check that out by Ben Clemens uh, and see uh, see what he's written up about it. It's very important, and I think uh, 
more people need to be uh, aware of what's going on in the uh, in the RSN world. Uh, okay, we're going to wrap up here pretty quickly. Uh, I'm going to go through it super quick because it is Formula One. <laughs> super fast. I'm going to make a fast, a, a hot lap, if you will, on F1. It starts this weekend in Bahrain. Uh, they just had practicing last weekend uh, in Bahrain, obviously team practicing. There was some standouts, obviously. Uh, Red Bull looks like they're way ahead of the pack. Once again, they're going to do their thing. Uh, Max Verstappen looks like he's going to be the best racer in the world. Once again, uh, he's had Sergio Perez, Checo Perez right behind him as well. He's going to be fantastic. The Red Bull car just looks like it was built out of alien technology and nobody else in the field is going to be able to catch it. That's just kind of how it's been the last two years in F1. Uh, then you got uh, Ferrari. They look like they're going to be at least a little bit better. Last year was kind of a disaster for Ferrari. For Ferrari in terms, I mean, they still finished second, but they had a couple races where uh, it was an unmitigated disaster for them. And, uh, you know, they, they could have competed better than they actually did uh, just because of some team issues. They fired their team principal uh, and hired a new one for this this upcoming season. So Ferrari's hoping for better numbers. I don't think they're good enough to catch Red Bull. I really think it's Red Bull. Uh, versus the rest of the world or versus basically Red Bull, then basically everybody after that's the middle of the pack, honestly. Uh, so Ferrari looks like they're going to be good. Mercedes looks like uh, it's usually one, two, three in terms of Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes. Mercedes and Red Ferrari fight back and forth for second place. Mercedes was on top of the world for a long period of time with Lewis Hamilton being an eight-time world champion as well. So, you know, it's usually one, two, three. Those guys are the, the top of the la- top of the pack. But Mercedes this year, uh, they didn't look very good in practice uh, or in uh, preseason testing. They looked the uh, the look. They looked a little questionable, and I think it's possible they could get caught by somebody like a uh, like uh, Aston Martin, who has Fernando Alonso now. Fernando Alonso always a fast man. Uh, he was driving very fast on day one. He was, I think, he was. Yeah, he ended up having the second fastest lap time behind Max Verstappen in the Red Bull uh, from an Aston Martin, which is not out of you know not completely out of the question because it is Fernando Alonso. He's one of the best in the world. Uh, but you know, uh, it's, it's a little bit surprising to see them up there with Ferrari uh, and Mercedes and so on. So uh, you could be surprised by Aston Martin as well. And then I guess the big thing for, uh, for us, for us Americans, Logan Sargent, the, the American driver himself, he finished seventh on day two uh, of F1 testing uh, in terms of lap time, a singular lap time with a one minute, 32 second uh, lap time as well, five one minute thirty two second five point five four nine milliseconds, whatever uh, in lapping, and that finished seventh in there as well. In a Williams, by the way, Williams, one of the most historic, legendary, uh, legendary teams of all time, but they've definitely fallen to the back of the pack in the last few years. I don't think Logan Sargent's going to be battling for first place or anything like that. That's uh, too high of expectations, I would say, um, but. You know, uh, if they're fighting for middle of the pack with Logan Sargent, maybe, who knows, maybe getting podium one race or something like that, that would be super cool. And that would be an absolutely fantastic season for Williams as well. So it's possible we could see Logan Sargent. I mean, he's finishing seventh in Bahrain and testing for day two. That's, I mean, pretty good. And they had a ton of laps under their belt as well, just in total. And uh, Williams did. So I think Logan Sargent himself had uh, the second most laps third most laps actually i'm looking at it now he had he ran uh one or excuse me 229 laps in the williams car just second behind or third behind nick uh mick, nick devries and uh fernando alonso who was first so Ogan sergeant who knows it's possible I, I could see them possibly getting a dub or something like that uh, not dub a podium i could see them getting a podium or something like that uh maybe come trying to command for the midfield i'm also uh you know an american so i'm very hopeful as well uh, it's very possible that, that doesn't happen because Williams has been very, very, very much not the best team uh, in F1, not even close to the best team, easily the worst team in F1 the last 
uh, the last three to five years, essentially. So we'll see what they've changed. They brought then brought in their new drivers, obviously, uh, and we'll see if they're any good. Um, and then Alpha Tari had a pretty good, uh, or excuse me, Alpha Romeo. Uh, Joe Guano had a pretty good showing in day. I mean, a, good, a great showing in day three. Actually, uh, he ended up having the fastest lap time in the Alfa Romeo on day on day three, passing Max Verstappen, uh, Max Verstappen as well. So, I mean, that was pretty surprising, honestly, and uh, it turned a lot of heads. Who knows? Alfa Romeo could be competing for it, or uh, Guano was having a very good day and a very good track time. It really depends on how the race goes. Obviously, on Saturday, or excuse me, on Sunday. Uh, so we'll see. It's done. F one. F1 testing is done. We could finally have the first race of the season in Bahrain. That's coming up on Sunday, bright and early at 8 a.m. at the Bahrain International Circuit. Uh, so that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to complete the show today. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, remember, please, to uh, hit the follow button, hit the rating button, if you wouldn't mind rating me in uh, cheeky old five stars. I would really appreciate that. Uh, and yeah. Remember to uh, kiss your mother, kiss your father, tell him you love him. Uh, if not, then that works too. But just remember one thing, the only one constant. doesn't have to be kissing your mother. doesn't have to be kissing your father. Remember, rate and subscribe and follow the show, please. That's the only constant we need, all right? I'd appreciate that very much. You can listen to this anywhere, literally anywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. I don't care where you listen to it. Just listen to it anywhere. Even on sharedmedia.com, podcastwyoming.com, wherever you want to listen to it, just listen to it in any of those places. Give us a cheeky little rating if you can. I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, and if not, that's fine. I'm still providing this for free. You know, we're still going through it. Doesn't matter to me. Okay? Free, doesn't matter to me. I'll be back next week. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake.